Matthew, the third chapter, verse 16. Jesus was baptized. He went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Fast forward a little over three years. Jesus takes three of his closest disciples up on a high mountain with him. He's just been in a few days of teaching about what's getting ready to happen. And these three disciples need to see some aspect of Jesus they've not previously seen. And Peter is there. And, of course, Peter's such a knucklehead. I love Peter. You know, coming, oh, God is good that we're here, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we set up some tents? And it says, while he, Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then one command, listen to him. Now, I find it fascinating that framing Jesus' public ministry, we find an affirmation from heaven itself coming down. Now, you know Jesus. I mean, the last time we hear from from him is at 12 years old. He kind of stays behind. He's hanging out in the temple. Mom has to come find him. She's, you know, I mean, you lose your kid for a few days. You know, you're going to get a little excited about that. You know, we didn't have Amber alerts or Jesus alerts, but she had an idea where to go find him. And why are you surprised? Didn't you know you would find me in what? My father's house. And then for the next 18 years, Scripture pretty much goes silent. And what we hear from when when the story kind of picks back up that we see here, we see this moment of his baptism. Now, you know that there was some conversation going on there in the hometown about Jesus. Yes, Mary's little bastard boy. Uh Uh-huh. Little Miss Miss Thang pregnant by God. I mean, couldn't she she come up with a a better story than that? I mean, we all know she was slipping and dipping a little bit, but I mean, I mean, come up with something feasible that you, you're pregnant by God himself. And so, you know, this, this issue of paternity had to have dogged Jesus his entire life. But right from the start, his real father wanted to be known who he was. This is my boy. This is my boy. And I want you to know, not only is he my son, I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. There's something about the declaration of paternity that is so critical. And if it was that important for Jesus, how much more important is it for you and I to see that paternity expressed in our life? And yet, there are challenges. I mean, today, one out of every three children in America living in a home without a a natural father. And that that problem is getting worse. By some counts, 70% of American children will live a significant portion of their childhoods in a home without a natural father present. For the first time in American history, the average and expected experience of childhood now includes a significant amount of time living absent from one's natural father. There are, two, there are three reasons for this. The first is divorce. 
40%, some say as high as 50% of marriages, first marriages end in divorce. Compare that to 16% in 1960. Three out of five of those divorces, three out of five involve children. So every year, just as a result of divorce, a million children are winding up in single-parent households. The second major pattern is children being born out of wedlock. Parents, children being fathered. One-third, one-third now of all children in the United States are being fathered by men out of wedlock. That number's up five, from 5% in 1960, a 600% increase across one generation. And a third, I believe, is a demonic redefining of what covenantal marriage is. Now, I, I know that sounds strong to you today, but let me say that I believe that this is not just a societal or a cultural shift. I believe that the roots of the same-sex marriage movement goes all the way to hell itself. It's demonic. And I believe that if the church doesn't call it what it is, draw a line, even for fear of being rejected, called intolerant, somebody has to say, this is not what God intended for marriage to be. Somebody has to do it. Now, let me say that you can do that with some emotional intelligence. You can do that wisely. You can do that with love. But somewhere there has to be a people that become standard bearers and say, not here. This is not how God defined it. But we see all three of these factors, whether it be, be it divorce, whether it being children fathered out of wedlock or the, the, the redefinition of marriage, all is leading us down the road to something. This past summer, there was a dear lady interviewed in the Washington Times. And she said, where she lives in Southeast, 90% of children live in a single-parent household. Nine out of ten. Amazing. And yet, we see culturally people trying to say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. In a 2013 book entitled Fathers in Cultural Context, a quote from that book says that the notion that fathering is essential to children's social and personality development seems to be a uniquely American preoccupation. Current research actually provides little support for this popular conception of paternal essentiality, unquote. Could I say that's one of the most foolish things that I've ever heard? And now you can do all the studies, make the numbers say what you want it to say, but there's something about fatherhood, paternity, that when it's improperly or not expressed at all, it leaves a hole on the inside of children. It's essential. And when we don't see it worked out in something humanly, it makes the way we relate then to an eternal heavenly father, it makes it that much more complex and complicated. In short, we all have daddy issues. Now, you know, that, that, that term is used many times in sort of a derogatory way. Somebody's acting kind of stupid. Well, he's got daddy issues. She's got daddy issues. Can I tell you, we all have daddy issues. Every one of us in this room. And when I began to talk about fatherhood and paternity, family, statistically, and I know this both pastorally and prophetically, 
It causes different things to rise up in different people. For some of you, when I begin to talk about fatherhood, first of all, it's merely a, it's, it's a notion, it's a concept. It's fiction because there was no dad there. For some of you, the picture of dad just represented pain because you were abused under that authority. And yet, for us to be able to relate to God well, we have to deal with our daddy issues. So I want to look at five areas just for a moment this morning of places where many of us need ministry and we need God to write some new definitions for us. The first is safety. Number one at the top of the list, safety. Now we know moms, you know, moms give the hugs and moms bake the cookies and moms deal with the boo-boos because they got the smiley band-aids, right? I mean, dads, you know, kids are not going to seek out dad when they're hurt. You know, moms are going to sympathize. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry. Here, have a cookie. You know how dads are. Dad's going to be like, walk it off, boy. You have arterial bleed leaving a trail behind a limb, bringing a limb in under one the, the good arm, right? Walk it off, boy. You'll be all right. But in many ways, that's exactly what we want from our dads. We're wanting that sense of safety. That dad, if, if, you know, if, if, if mom's going to bake the cookies and give the hugs, we want a dad that's going to do what? Shoot it, kill it, run it off. I mean, we're looking for dad to be superhero, correct? And in the presence of dad, there's what? There's safety. Very important, safety. We had a parenting conference here last weekend. And I made a statement that fathers war so children's can, children can build. It's really true. We have the ability because of the power, the curse-breaking power of the cross, that we can stop, we can do war at our generation so that our children don't have to war against those same enemies. That's a powerful concept for me. That I have the ability to stop certain foolishness right now so that my progeny and their progeny never has to deal with this stuff. Never has to deal with the rejection or the addiction or the depression, whatever it might be. We say no to it and it ends right now. But likewise, fathers war so their children can then live in safety. We see David in 1 Chronicles 22. Got a real heart to do something for God. Wants to build. Build a dwelling for him. And God comes to David and said, you know what? You're not the one. And the reason is that you've shed much blood on the earth in my sight. David was a warrior. But you will. It goes on in verse 9 in 1 Chronicles 22. But you will have a son, listen to this, who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. Oh my, don't you want that for your kids? But do you realize that we have a heavenly father that wants us to live in that same safety? Do you realize we have a, a heavenly father that all he has to say is, enough, that's it. He dispatches all the angels. I mean, just like that. And whatever's been going on, whatever's been pressing against you, whatever's been oppressing you in your life, all of a sudden, Daddy says, that's it. And that's the end of it. It's no more complex than that. And yet, when we don't live in that sense of safety, 
Something happens. When we're unsure about the presence of our Father, that safety becomes elusive for us. Then the promise of a Psalm 91 you know this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. What is that speaking to? The shadow of something means that there's close proximity of it. That's what it means. We'll live in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So the very first thing that we need ministry of and revelation of concurrently is an issue of safety. The second is one of authority. Authority. Now, authority becomes a very, very goofy word for many people. Because the conundrum here is that we all want the benefit and the blessing of authority. We just don't want to be submitted to it. Uh Uh-oh. Matthew 8, Jesus takes his disciples, puts them in a boat, says, we're going over to the other side of the lake. Storm comes up. The guys come running up, run, you know, running around like a bunch of little girls. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. Jesus says, man, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And Jesus speaks. And immediately what happened? It was completely calm. And these guys looking around at each other. What is this dude? What, what kind of man is this? That, he, that even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, we want a real picture that dad can do anything. That's the picture that we want of fatherhood, that when our dad puts on a jacket or he puts on whatever he wears to work, he's having to tuck his cape in behind his jacket. That at any moment, he can whip it out, and he, is a, he can fly, he can do anything. I mean, kids look up at their dads like, he's so strong, he's so big, he can do anything at all. And that... And that sense of authority, it gets lost many times. And we desperately need to see somebody bigger than we are. It's so tragic today that we so anthropomorphize God that we've made him. God's my friend. He's my buddy. He's my consultant. I bring him in when I, you know, need to chat about an issue. No. He is the sovereign. He is above all, before all. He made it all. You belong to him whether you know it or not. And we need that sense of authority restored in our life. But again, once again, we don't like it much. Again, we want to we rest in that authority, but we really don't want him telling us what to do. Which takes me to number three is discipline and correction. Oh, my. Because you can't have authority that you don't have the correction to go with it. And then this gets even more complex for our little souls because the reality is most of us at some point have been hurt because discipline or correction came to us wrongly. And maybe it wasn't a natural father. Maybe it was some some paternal figure. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher in school or, or, or some other figure like that. But where authority... Discipline and correction got meted out to you in a wrong way. Hmm. And yet, Hebrews 12 talks about how you can't separate discipline from sonship. Hebrews 12, 7. Endure hardship as what? Discipline. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Oh my! You mean those God marks on me? Where God came and whooped me for that attitude? He came and whooped you mean? They're birthmarks, son. I love you enough for you not to continue to be an idiot. I love you enough to get up in your stuff and fix what needs to be fixed. And the passage goes on and talks about how we've all had human fathers who discipline us, and it says we respected them for it. Now, again, I'm talking about where this is working correctly. But we respected them for it, and then the outworking It says, no discipline seems pleasant. It's painful, but it produces a what? A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It being what? Discipline, correction. And you see today, many times, the results of no paternity, no discipline, no correction, first of all, is illegitimacy. It's tragic particularly for those who are in the church, in the household of faith, that there's still this deep sense of illegitimacy on the inside. All of the baby daddy drama. And going on Mari or Montel ain't going to help. Because you've got spiritual DNA that you belong to someone. You belong to God. But many times there's this sense of just not belonging. Because there's never been any discipline. And it says, no respect. What happens? Father's discipline, there's respect. But where there's no discipline, there's no respect. Remember in school when the the big thing was the principal's office? I mean, it was like death row, remember? And so you got to get over a certain age for you to understand this a little bit, all right? But basically, the principal's office meant you were going to get whooped again. Okay, and that was kind of, that was the big thing. I will send you to the principal's office. This past, this past summer, I was in traffic court. Now, please hear this correctly. Traffic court. Some of you can say, Pastor Jim was in court. I think he killed somebody. Okay, amazing how things move around. Traffic court. I was there pleading my case for something that really wasn't my fault, but I was there. Now, if you've never been to traffic court in Prince William County, even if you don't need to be there, you should go. Because it is a lesson in human behavior, let me tell you. And I mean, it is amazing. Folks are kicked back there in court. I mean, they're just like laughing and carrying on, you know. And then when it, in, in this particular courtroom, you have to kind of walk all the way around the edges. You can't cut anything off. And so a person would get called and they'd be walking up to the judge like. And then they'd get up to the little podium and they'd be like. Chewing gum, the hat, the whole nine. And I mean, I'm like, it's the judge, fool. This man has people that can take you to jail right now. And I got up there and he's asking me a few questions. I'm innocent. I'm not going to, I mean, my voice, yes, sir, no, sir, like a little girl. You know what I mean? I was thinking I was going to cry because I realized the authority that this man had. You understand what I'm saying? 
But these other guys, I mean, they're chewing gum. They're just like, ah, this is, this is, you're going to jail, fool. <laughs> Amazing. But it's a direct result that you know they want a daddy in there somewhere. Son, you say, sir, you stand up. You get rid of the gum. You take the hat off. You stand up. You look the man in the eye and you be honest when you respond to him. Oh, my goodness. We wonder where this comes from. And then it says it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. We look at people and I say, how in the world did he do what? I can't believe he did that. Because there's no harvest, because there was no sowing. And part of the way that you sow a harvest of righteousness is the proper reception of discipline and correction in your life. Hmm, don't like that much. Number four, provision. In short, fathers provide. No more complicated than that. My children never had to get up in the morning. Dad, you think we could have some food today? I mean, my children walk, waked up, you know, they're smelling bacon. They think that God smells like bacon. <laughs> Paternity of God is expressed with fried pork. That's what they think. The aroma of Christ must be bacon. But they never had to get up and wonder, Daddy, I, need, I, I don't have any shoes. I don't have any clothes. I don't have any. No. Fathers provide. It's what they do. I mean, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray said, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. Your father knows what you need before you ask him for it. Do you realize your mortgage payment due in July of next year, your heavenly father made provision for it long before he separated light and darkness. There's not a second that you will live on this planet that God, your father, hasn't made provision. And the sad part about it is how perverted that message gets. But when we separate provision from the paternity of God, it becomes something really weird. The church gets the, literally gets the cart before the horse on this thing. And we see all kinds of outworkings when we've seen fathers that haven't provided or we haven't received from our Heavenly Father the spirit of poverty, this fear of lack. And then we become internal hoarders. I mean, maybe the camera crews aren't rolling up for an A&E special about your home, but let me just tell you, on the inside, we're holding on because we know God provided once, but we're not sure he'll do it a second time. We're not sure he's really able that if we write this check, if we tithe or offer, give to a building or whatever ever else is, is in front of us in the moment, we hang on because, oh God, I know you did it once, but mm, I'm just not sure I trust you to do it a second time. Or a third, or a fourth, or an upteenth. And yet the same God that provided for you once will continue to do it over and over and over again. That's what daddies do. Fathers provide. Galatians 4. And it goes on here, and it says that God sent his son to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls out, Abba, Father. It goes on and says, you're not a slave but a son. And because you're a son, you're also an heir. Yesterday, I was reading a little piece about the future trillionaires, that there's only a handful that show up in any given generation. And you throw out names like Buffett or Zuckerberg or Jobs or Gates and people like this. 
But let me just tell you, maybe you're not heir to any of that, but I tell you what, you're heir to something a whole lot more lasting. The reality is all of those guys, they'll have use of it for one generation and then they're going somewhere, north or south, just like you are. And they're not taking any of it with them, but you and I have an eternal inheritance. And God has called us not only sons, but he's made us heirs as well. He's dealt with the issue of provision once and for all. And then lastly is affirmation and blessing. And this is a place where many of us haven't experienced this. Fathers bless and fathers affirm. I can't tell you the number of 20-somethings and early 30-somethings that my wife and I sit with college ministry that I do, that just young men and women, highly accomplished, going to great schools, but yet they were never affirmed by their dads, never had the blessing come to them. And what happens when that blessing gets withheld, things happen. Genesis 27, when old Jacob had already tricked Esau out of his birthright, he also tricked him out of the blessing. And his dad gave the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. And what happened, it says that Esau was embittered against his brother, even to the point that he made plans to kill him. His mom had to send him away. He said, you better go because your brother's going to get you. You see, when that blessing is withheld from us, it leaves us embittered. It leads to rejection. And many of us feel that rejection because we've never really felt the real affirmation and blessing of a human father, much less a heavenly father. You know, I, I love the ministry, the power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just, we just did Life in the Spirit here yesterday. If you haven't done it, you should do it. Right, Pastor Donnell? But you know, I, as having walked with God for a moment now, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really down to one essential thing that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and I is not just to prophesy or heal the sick or talk in tongues or do one of those nine gifts that are highlighted in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm more convinced the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to manifest our sonship, to testify to us that we're kids. Romans 8 says, You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Now look at the context. Pastor Donnell ministered on fear a moment ago. It says, but you received the spirit of sonship. Spirit here is a capital S. It's not speaking to small s, just your spirit. Capital S, meaning the personification of God himself. The spirit of sonship by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. You realize there's this constant war going on on the inside of us of the devil saying, you ain't wanted, you're illegitimate, you're never going to come into anything, you ain't nothing. And yet the Spirit of God on the inside, you're a liar, this is who you are. You're a liar, this is who you are. You are a son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And the Holy Spirit, the entire time, is doing ministry to your spirit and my spirit, whether we even know it or not. It's going on all the time. I've got to tell you, if the ministry of the third person of God just extended only that far, that would be enough. That would be enough function for the Holy Ghost in our life just to let us know we are wanted. 
We are legitimate sons and daughters. Amen? And let me tell you, in the hardest moments of our life, it's Abba that we're going to cry out to. We see that term specifically, Abba, an intimate term, only used three times in the New Testament. I've used two of them already. One in Galatians, one in Romans. But the third time, we find it coming off Jesus' lips. In the garden, Mark 14. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In the darkest moments, we don't want mama. We don't want our best friend. We don't want a pastor. We want daddy to show up. For all of the above reasons. Saints, listen to me. Every one of us in this room this morning, regardless of how great your household was, all of us have some daddy issues. And one of these five areas, safety, authority, discipline, provision, blessing. And like a vitamin deficiency, you can kind of go through your life missing one of these essential elements, but you're never going to come into the full life and the full health that God really has for us until we really can understand that God wants to deliver all of these to us. Something has to happen. And this touches a lot of folk. I realize this. Because there are no perfect dads. They just aren't. And one of the hardest things for a parent, for a child, is to look back and realize, you know what? Dad wasn't perfect. Mom wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, not only were they not perfect, they were so less than. And yet, we have to come into some reality and some healing that there is a perfect dad who's proud to identify with you and I. That's an amazing thing. Proud to. I mean, John 20, Jesus saying, I'm returning to the Father, your Father. I'm returning to God, your God. I mean, he let it know right even at the end there that not only is he my Father, he's your Father as well. And he's happy to make that identification with you of this is my Son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Pray with me.